This is my fourth message. The first one I did was on the Holy Spirit and assurance. And how it's important not to only look to yourself with some type of morbid introspection. Because all you'll see there, if you're honest with yourself, is your own sin. So when you look to yourself, then you need to look up and you need to look out to the Lord Jesus and remember what he does for sinners. And if he loves sinners, ungodly enemies and helpless, how much more will he love his children? That was the doctrine of assurance. Scott, I just said to the people, I thought you were going to get up and correct me. No, no, you're good. No, no, I thought. (laughs) All right, we all know the real meaning of John 3 is this. (laughs) And then the second message was on the eternal decree. Redemption planned, accomplished, and then applied. And that something happened in eternity past and how the Father with the Son and the Spirit in this Trinitarian love for one another had so much love essentially for one another they wanted to share it and then save redeemed people. And then last night we looked at the doctrine of regeneration. And it is true that regeneration... ...that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. Did you get that? If you have believed, you already have been born of God. And regeneration has to take place at least logically prior to because we have to recognize we're dead in trespass. Regenerate unbelievers are believers who are unregenerate. But in the counsels of, of God's mind, you have to have regeneration first, then you believe. And today, we're going to look essentially at a summary of everything that's been said and done in this conference on the Holy Spirit uh, that will be a good review. And the title is, What if the Holy Spirit left your church? Now, I don't know what the pastors here in New Zealand do. When I get done preaching on Sundays, I usually stand by like the main exit and people just walk out. And I don't stand there to hear people say, that was a great sermon. Like Spurgeon said, Satan's already told me that as I walk down to my seat. Great job. By the way, never ask your wife, uh, honey, what do you think? Because she thinks that's a real question. I was just at. I'm wanting her to tell me I'm a great preacher. So, by the way, I never ask her anymore. But five times a year, she'll just say at home, that was good today. And on the inside, I'm just going, yes. (laughs) And so I'll stand at And I've heard many interesting things at the door. When they do say thanks for the message, I know they're really saying thank you for being faithful. It's not about you, but we're glad you preached. Uh, I've heard people say things to me like, Actually, it was when I was talking about the Holy Spirit and sign gifts, and I said, well, what what do you mean lying? You know, you might disagree with me on a passage, but we're Christian people. He goes, liars sweat, and he said, you're soaked. (laughs) No, I'm just trying to passionately preach. It's New England, it's hot, and it's humid. Somebody else said to me at the door, it's a shame you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. 
thought, what must they mean? You don't believe in the Holy Spirit. I mean, my gut is, of course I do. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, we sing about the great triune God, one God. How do we baptize people? We baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God, three persons. Of course I believe in the Trinity. I mean, when I think of the word God, I think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. When I see the word Yahweh, our Lord, I think Yahweh the Father, Yahweh the Son, Yahweh the Spirit. What do you mean I don't believe in the Holy Spirit? Why would they ask such a question? So I preached some sermons after that. What would the church look like if the Holy Spirit left the church? Because what I wanted is our church to be reminded that we do believe in the Holy Spirit and He does many things, not just spectacular sign gifts. So today... as it continues, you are in a heap of trouble. If the church is set up so everything works so perfectly because of administration, leadership, nice parking lot, beautiful tents, spaghetti on bread, what to do with that, but it tasted good. I didn't know if it was supposed to be a garnish, it looked good, or you were to eat it. If everything continued as is without this Holy Spirit, it would be a tragedy for the church. It would be a disaster. So in a weird kind of counterintuitive way, we're going to ask the question, what if the Holy Spirit left the church so we can demonstrate how vital He is, how important He is, and how many things He does? George Smeaton of Scotland said, whenever Christianity has been a living power, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has uniformly been regarded equal with, listen, the atonement and justification by faith as the article of a standing or falling church. That's fascinating to me. The distinctive feature of Christianity as it addresses itself to man's experience is the work of the Spirit. In other words, while justification by faith alone is crucial, while the atonement is crucial, while unconditional election is crucial, He, the Holy Spirit, is crucial. Heidelberg Catechism, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Answer, He is co-eternal with God the Father, and that He is given unto me by true faith and makes me... Father, I think of son and then the father-son relationship. And if we're not careful, then we talk about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. And you can almost sense even in the terms father and son, so intimate, so close, so warm, uh, a familiar terms, father, son. And then some people think, well, this word spirit and ghost, that's kind of weird. Cold, maybe they think, or, or remote, maybe they think, or uh, aloof, maybe they, they think. But no, he, the spirit, is a person. If the Holy Spirit left your church, number one, in no particular order, this is kind of blunt, there'd be no church. There'd be no church because there'd be no Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as I said the other day, is actively involved in the life, was actively involved in the life of Jesus from conception to death to resurrection. 
If you take your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. When you think of the incarnation, the Holy Spirit was hovering over uh, that wonderful conception process in Mary's womb, a baby named Jesus. When you think about Luke 4, how the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus to preach, when you think about the confirmation of Jesus at his baptism, of the Holy Spirit and his involvement in Jesus, he was involved in the son's resurrection. Now, some people don't like confessions and they think, oh, they're maybe extra biblical. Actually, here's a biblical confession. 1 Timothy chapter 3 in this pastoral epistle, great indeed we confess. What does confession mean? We all agree, we all speak the same thing, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifest in the flesh, think pre-existent and vindicated by the Spirit. Everything that Jesus said He was, everything that Jesus did, was vindicated by the Spirit at what particular time? When the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Yes, there are passages that talk about the Father raising the Son, and the Son raising Himself, but here the Spirit confirms and vindicates that in fact the Messiah, He is Jesus, and He raised Him from the dead. Christ's claim to be the promised Messiah is vindicated by the Holy Spirit. And you have to remember that the Spirit of God is helping Jesus. Jesus is God-man, yes, but He's man, perfectly man. And as we would need the Spirit's help in our life, Jesus needs the Spirit's help in His life. And from conception to temptation to uh, inauguration into ministry, To start with, there'd be no church because Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of death won't stop it. And if there's no Jesus, there's no church. Number two, if the Holy Spirit left your church, Jesus would recede into the background and you'd hardly ever hear about him. Scott's been talking about this and I've appreciated his messages. When people say to me, present, I don't think they quite understand what they're saying. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is the Holy Spirit's privilege and prerogative to be the one who's pointing to the Lord Jesus. He could, in fact, point to himself and say, honor me, praise me, worship me. Worship me. To point to the Lord Jesus Christ and show me a Holy Ghost-filled church, and I'll show you a church that talks about Jesus all the time. The Holy Spirit is not offended when, the Holy, when, when, when Jesus talked about morning, noon, and night. I find it fascinating in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Kind of a stark verse, kind of an amazing verse. It just, it just grabs you. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, that's capital S, Jesus is accursed. Can you imagine? If somebody says, damn Jesus. Uh, he's cursed. Uh, the context might be, he, he's cursed because he hung on a tree. He's cursed because he's got a body and body's bad and spirit's good. He's cursed, he's damned. Who says that? Somebody that's Holy Ghost filled? No, nobody does that, the text says. 
What do they say, though? If the Spirit of God is moving in them and working through them, how do they talk? What do they say? Isn't that fascinating? And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That believer's reflex action is, I acknowledge Jesus, yes, as Savior, yes, as Messiah, but I acknowledge Him as what? Lord. He is, in fact, Lord. Because left to yourself, you would have been saying, I'm Lord, the world's Lord, my celebrity's Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. And you say, well, somebody might say, well, uh, an unbeliever could say Jesus is Lord, but I'm talking about from their heart and meaning it. This could be, matter of fact, the oldest creed in all the Bible. Jesus is Lord. You have to run around saying Caesar's Lord and give a pinch of salt and everything's fine. But if you're at Corinth and you say Jesus is Lord and give no pinch of salt and no Caesar is Lord, you're going to pay. It's going to be so painful for you not to say Caesar is Lord. How could you then say in the risk of losing even your life, Jesus is Lord? That's the Spirit's work. Demons might say he's the Son of God. Demons might say he's the Holy One of God. But I can't recall one time that demons say Jesus is Lord. And this is why we have to remember that Holy Ghost-filled churches will have the Spirit of truth testifying, as Scott said in John 15, 26, about Jesus. He, in fact, could say, look at me, but he says, look at who Jesus is. Let's magnify Jesus. If we had a spotlight, that spotlight would be on Jesus. It's not like we have some kind of three-ring circus and and there are three things going on. No, the Father is well-pleased in the Son's work. And the angels swirling around. And the people bowing and praising. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Is the Spirit offended by that? Is He somehow thinking, no, no, I like some of that. No, He's he's honored and worshipped by you focusing upon the Son. He's the center. He's standing there like a lamb slain or slaughtered. The great lion of the tribe of Judah. Scott also preached from John 16. He, the Spirit, will glorify me, the Son, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Show me a Holy Spirit-filled church and I'll show you a church that says, our motto at this church is Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim. I tell people all the time, you know what, we'd love to have you come to church, uh, but if you don't want to hear about Jesus, this isn't a good church for you. And I want our people to realize every single time you bring someone to church, you're going to know I'm going to stand behind this pulpit and with the determination by the Spirit of God, I'm going to tell you about who Jesus is. What did Paul say? Before he even got to Corinth in this 1 Corinthians 12 passage, here's what he thought. Okay, I'm going to go to Corinth and I'm going to have a plan ahead of time. Scott and I were planning on what to preach and, and we were determined on what we would say. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I determined, I made the plan before I even got there to Corinth that I was going to preach nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Holy But sometimes I'll go to charismatic churches, extremely charismatic churches, 
and I hardly ever hear about Jesus because it's the Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that, the Holy Ghost this, this, that, and the other, and I want to hear about the Lord Jesus. We proclaim. Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, what would Satan do if he took over a city? Let's say he takes over Auckland. What would it look like? Barnhouse. <laughs> the bars would close. No alcohol would be sold. There would be happy marriages, well-behaved children, no crime, and everyone would be in churches on Sunday where Christ is not preached. That's why Luther said, we always preach Him, the true God and man. This may seem a limited and monotonous subject, likely to soon be exhausted, but we will never be at the end of it. Adoniram Judson, the first missionary from American soil, leaves Salem, Massachusetts. I know you're thinking witches, but it's Adoniram Judson who leaves there. Uh, I always ask people, when, I, when you think of Salem, Massachusetts, what do you think of? They go, witches. I go, you're a pagan. I mean, if you're a Christian, you'd think Adoniram Judson goes to Burma to preach the gospel. And he comes back. And, and what do you want to hear from missionaries? Seriously, privately, I asked my friend who was in Thailand, I said, tell me the weirdest thing you ever ate and the weirdest experience. He said, well, I went into this restaurant in, in Thailand and, uh, you know, some dogs outside and everything. I was petting this one dog and uh, I didn't know that meant take that dog because that's the dog I choose to eat. And so they took the dog outside. They hear this bang and a whelp and they serve the thing almost whole on his plate. I mean, that's kind of what I want to hear, right? The bugs. And, I mean, spaghetti on bread. Judson comes home after decades. And he said, I know you want to hear about my, 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 my travails as a missionary and all that, but I just have a message to do for you, and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to hear about it, I can't give you a more dramatic, more redemptive, more wonderful, more thought-consuming, more exalting message than Jesus Christ loved sinners and died for them and was raised from the dead. You can tell the Spirit of God was working in Judson. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, For we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as what? Lord. Number three. If the Holy Spirit left your church, there wouldn't be any church, He would recede into the background. And number three, you'd have no contact with Jesus. No contact with Jesus. What do you mean no contact with Jesus? Uh, is Jesus in your heart? Uh, is He walking with you and talking with you along life's narrow way? Uh, is He uh, in a pancake or a waffle? Right? Those kind of images that people have of that. Is He in the Eucharist? Well, I have great news. Jesus' body isn't here. You're like, that's not great news? What do you mean? How is that great news? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's 
resurrected, he's exalted, and he's ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father, Luke 22. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Ephesians 1, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Hebrews chapter 8, the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on heaven. Friends, you don't want Jesus physically here. Remember, he still has a body. You don't want him here. Because if he was here, you're not a Christian. You're not saved unless Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand in a place of, of honor because he, he was obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think when you say during Easter time, He is risen, He is risen indeed, you, you recognize that fact. Remember Jesus said in John 14, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father What did present with the Lord? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. I mean, He's going to come back. Jesus is the ascended priest, reigning over all, interceding, ruling. And while absent bodily, He is still with us by His Spirit. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me by His Spirit. His body's in heaven, but by His Spirit He indwells us. Paul says in Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Romans 10, I mean it's everywhere. Christ is in you. Did not Jesus say it before He ascended? And lo, I am with you always. Even though his body went up to heaven through the Spirit of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the work of the Spirit. Christ is present to us by the Spirit. And that should be very encouraging to you. Where is Jesus? His body is in heaven. And if we didn't have the Spirit, we would not have the Lord Jesus in us and with us. Number four, you would lose your salvation. If the Holy Spirit left the church, you would lose your salvation. Now, by the way, just to make sure we're clear, this is all a hypothetical thing that I'm doing to try to drive home the person work of Christ. Uh, this can't happen. Uh, I know you could probably argue with me on a point here or there because this is a theoretical thing, but I'm using theory to try to teach the point that he... Can you imagine one sentence? If you had to make one sentence to praise God, how long would that sentence be? For Paul, it was 203 words. That's pretty good. By the way, with no main verb. How do you do that? It's implied. 203 words, all praising God the Father for the work of the Father's election, the Son's redemption, and the Spirit's sealing. Side note just for a second, because I know some people struggle with election. The first thing Paul praises God for isn't the redeeming love of Jesus, verse 7. It's the electing love of the Father. I wonder if that's maybe the first thing that comes to your mind. When you're praising God in a triune way, and the first thing that comes out of your mouth, I, I'm happy if you say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. 
That's wonderful. He redeems us, forgiveness of sins. But for Paul, he starts off with Father's election. And by the way, if the Father just looks in the corridors of time and then chooses you based on what you're going to do, there's no reason to praise the Father. But here he does, because this is unconditional election. And he praises the Father for choosing, praises the Son for sacrificially dying, and now the Spirit for sealing. Left to ourselves, we're going to lose our salvation. Him also. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. What a great thought of the Spirit of God. He's the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's not all, verse 14. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now when you think of seals, you ought to be thinking kind of, um, what were seals like back in the Bible days? And, and, and seals serve many functions. Let me just give you three. Number one, they showed that things were inaccessible to other people. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, Darius sealed that den with his signet ring. Nobody can have access. So the Spirit of God, he, he, he seals you. No one gets access. Right? People are like, they ask me all the time, can Satan, you know, uh, possess me? The Spirit of God seals you. There's no access. He's protecting you. That's what God does. He protects His sheep. I mean, if anybody in this entire world could have been lost, it seems to me that John 9, it was that man born blind. The leaders were against Him. Society was against Him. His friends were against Him. His parents were against Him. But Jesus is a good sheep because John chapter 10, this is an odd thought, John 10 follows John 9. Kind of weird, isn't it? Can Jesus secure the sheep and will a sheep be lost like this dear man who's born blind in John 9? Well, there's a good shepherd that's going to make sure. They set a seal on Jesus' grave so nobody can... ...ship. Uh, I've done a lot of bicycle riding the last few days and I see all these sheep out there, and I see cows out there, and I don't know why, I'm, I'll just... And sheep, I don't know if I'm trying to scare them, or say hello, or... How does it go? I just thought they were all looking at my socks, I didn't know what was going on. We, we brand animals... We, we, we put tags on their ears for identification. That's the idea of a seal. It, it talks about ownership. I, I, I own this person. God takes care of his possessions because you've been bought with a price. Think about it this way. God has more to lose if you lose your salvation than you do because he wouldn't be keeping his promises. But the big one here is protection. Accessibility, ownership, and protection. He marks you, kind of like sometimes read Ezekiel chapter 9, and they mark people's heads uh, as safe before the, the death angels come and kill the people. This is the Holy Spirit of promise. 
If you could lose your salvation, if I could lose my salvation, we already did. And don't ask the question, can a Christian lose their salvation? That's not the right question. Here's the question. Can God the Holy Spirit lose a Christian? And protected. Next question. Question number, what are we up to? Number five. Question number five, or not question number five, but statement number five. No one would ever get saved. If the Holy Spirit left your church, no matter how much you begged, pleaded, evangelized, youth programs, outreach, prayer, no one would ever get saved. Saved. Remember back in the old days? God chooses for you to be saved. Satan Wants you not to be saved. So he, God votes yes, Satan votes no, and who casts the deciding vote? Well, our vote as unbelievers was always no. But as Thomas Watson said, God rides forth conquering in the chariot of his gospel. He conquers the pride of the heart and makes the will which stood out as a fort against him to yield and stoop to his great grace. He makes the stony heart bleed. And if you'll turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, this is all the work of the Spirit. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, the context is interesting. Why should you be very cautious of how you respond to government authorities? Because you might think they're wicked and perverse and ungodly, and yet, uh, what were you like before you got saved? What was I like? And so he transitions into this great section about how God saves sin. In Titus 3. Uh, people say to me, Mike, I don't have a good testimony. Really? What do you mean you don't have a good testimony? Well, you know, I, I'm just a homeschool kid and, and I got, you know, grew up in the church and I never did all these bad things. And, and uh, you know, I, don't, I, I wasn't a drug user. I didn't go to prison. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't run around. I didn't. Friends, if you're saved from unrighteousness or self-righteousness, that's wonderful because it takes the power of God to do that. And by the way, if your testimony focuses on you, stop it. Here, Paul's focus is on the testimony of the Spirit of God. If you talk about Jesus and, and the work of the Spirit, your testimony is always great because it's about Him, right? That's why when I see homeschool kids get baptized and drug addicts get baptized, I don't know why we only clap for the drug addicts. Humanly speaking, it's harder as an self-righteous person to get saved because the unrighteous at least know they're unrighteous. The self-righteous, they think they're righteous. And either one will be subdued by the Spirit of God because what's the text say? But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. He makes people born again. I didn't say it last night, but I'll say it now. I don't say about my three girls and my boy uh, that they bore themselves. They didn't. They were forced to come out. No, they came out, they were born, and they responded with a cry I'm alive. That's like faith. They were born, and then they believed. God saves us, He deserves it all.
what if the Holy Spirit left your church? You might as well just give up all prayer. Forget prayer. Please turn to Romans chapter 8. Prayer life would be awful. I don't think prayers would even be answered. We wouldn't even know how to pray. And I love Romans chapter 8 verse 26 because we see how the Holy Spirit is praying. Hebrews 7.25 says Jesus is praying, but also the Spirit is praying. Have you ever said to yourself, I just don't know how to pray? I'm in such a strait where I can't figure out how to pray. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I know I'm supposed to pray in accordance with God's will, but I just need help. Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. Do you think He helps? The Spirit of God, He certainly does. It's a difficult world. It's a, a fallen world. And as we wait for the future... Verse 26, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. I amen that. But the Spirit Himself emphatically intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, when you have a heavy burden and things are very difficult and you're weak and you can't pray, you have a perfect prayer partner, the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave you alone. Just imagine if you didn't have Him. The Spirit... So I wanted everything that God wanted for me. And I remember 20-some years ago, 25 years ago, I worked in the operating room. My wife worked. We didn't have any kids. And I would get to the operating room at 6 a.m. And I'd get home early. She'd still work later. And I would read my Bible, read my Bible. God, I want everything you have for me. I want everything that you have. And I thought this verse meant that I was supposed to groan. And so I would lay in bed. And uh, nobody was around. And I would just start. Oh. Do it. I mean, I'm innocently and... and I think in a godly way, I just wanted this. I show, show me the Bible, and, and, I, and I want this. Well, I had a dog. and uh, No, I didn't pet the dog and eat it. I had a dog, and her name was Marley. Before that whole Marley movie came out. As in Bob. Well, she thought something was the matter with her master. So I'm laying there, oh, oh. She comes up like, are you okay? She's like licking my ear. Come on, you okay? And here's what I thought. I'm about ready to get the gift. And somehow Satan is using my dog to intercept this. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Satan, in my dog Marley. True story. And then my dog's like, okay. And I thought, I don't need to, to groan in the Spirit. I can cast demons out of dogs. <laughs> Started up again. If you're a charismatic. Don't you, verse 27, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And by the way, every one of those prayers will be answered. Sometimes I pray things and I'm sure part of heaven will be just amazed at how God didn't answer certain prayers because those things weren't right and in the will of God and everything else. 
perfectly praying in accordance with God's will. He does that for you. So if the Spirit left, we wouldn't have any of that. Number seven, turn to 1 Corinthians 2. No one would understand the Bible. You don't put up the Bible, you wouldn't understand it. You don't put up the Bible and no one would understand it. My point to this whole message today is, in a sense, a review. But just to remind you that the Holy Spirit, He does many things. And He has revealed Scripture. And He has done mighty deeds. But there are other things that He has done that we've talked about today. So that if somebody ever says, don't you believe in the Holy Spirit? You can't even get through all the things He does in a sermon. It's going to take two of sermons to get this done. Number seven, no one would understand the Bible, either personally or when the pastor preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. You know where I'm going, verse 14. But let's just pick it up a little bit earlier because I think it helps. Now don't forget, every time you see the word you or we, you ought not to just default to that's me and us. And you're going to see here Paul's talking about himself and fellow apostles. You're going to have to just take my word for it and look at it and study it. But he does say in verse 11, for who among Right outside the Bible, nobody knows what God's thinking. We only know that He lets us know. Now, we have received, he's talking about Paul and the apostles, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Those things were given by the Spirit to the apostle. We and us are the writers of the Word of God. Verse 13, which things we... Paul and his fellow apostles speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And now we look at the doctrine of illumination. The Spirit gives the word, and now how do we understand it? He puts a light on it. He illumines it so that we get it. But a natural man, an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. By the way, remember this verse when you evangelize, so you stick to the Bible. A natural man does not accept, number one, the things of the Spirit of God. Number two, their foolishness to him. Number three, they cannot understand. Why? Because they are spiritually appraised. No wonder one reformer said, the best that an unbeliever can do is gnaw the bark of Scripture without getting to the wood. No wonder Luther said... He's a unless he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You can have an unbelieving friend read the verse, and they can understand the grammar, and they understand English, but they don't understand it in a spiritual way because that's the work of the illuminating power of the Spirit. Number eight, there'd be no fruit of the Spirit in the church and in your life. Chapter 5 of Galatians, please. This is a complete disaster. I don't know what it's like for you to be around people who are loveless and selfish and angry and awful. Um, but that's basically the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I could pick it up there, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and against the Spirit uh, so the spirit against the flesh, these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. 
And then he gives this list. I mean, without the Spirit of God, this is the environment we would have in church. There'd be immorality, sexual sin. There'd be impurity. Kind of, it's, it's language of just this cut that's pus-filled, oozing out, nasty, talking about sexual sins and immorality. I do, sensuality, people just ready at any particular moment to just swipe right and let it work. Idolatry, sorcery, enmities, jealousy. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This is... But... These things and people are yourself. It's not them. This is the Spirit of God working in them. And there's like a great unity here, almost like a, a bunch of grapes instead of separate pieces of things. And you know this passage. Can you imagine? When you're around these kind of people, how refreshing it is. When you're around these kind of people, these, every one of these reminds me of the Lord Jesus. Love. Joy. I mean, can you imagine without these things? Uh, I, have a, I have a son who when he was about 10, I took him and his buddy, Tony, a guy from Lebanon to a skate park. And we're driving down the street. And we always look at church signs because I've always taught the kids, you know, don't ever trust a church that starts with you, you know, United, Unitarian, Universalist for unity, you know. I guess unless you live in a town that starts with a U, you might be okay. Um, there are exceptions. And so we're looking at this thing, and it says Agape Christian Fellowship. And my son goes, look at that, Agape Christian Fellowship. And my, friend's, my, my son's friend said, it's agape, you idiot. <laughs> I said, well, you know, there's four kinds of biblical love. There's like a family love. There's an erotic love. There, there's a, a Philadelphia love, a brotherly love. And then there's a love that wants the best in the object and self-sacrificial and it gives. It's like no other. It's a divine love. And I said, that even come up with the Lord's Supper, by the way? We always go there for the Lord's Supper. Go there. That's the only epistle. Why is it even there? Here's why it's there. When you Corinthians act loveless and you want to hog all the food, and you want to hog everything, how do you deal with loveless people? You show them the lovely one who loved others. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took this bread and he said, I'm giving my life for you. And when you're around people who are Christ-like, it's the work of the Spirit. Can you imagine living around people? Not even, I mean, for me, I love to go to church. I know we're not perfect people, but it just feels like a little refuge, doesn't it? The world and the chaos and this and that, and everybody's got an agenda. And I come to church and I think, these people love me in spite of who I am. And can you imagine not being around a place like that? If the Spirit wasn't here, there wouldn't be any of that if the Spirit left the church. Well, I'm out of time just to tell you the ones that I had left that you can just study on your own. If the Spirit of God left the church, there would also be no singing, thanking, and submitting, Ephesians chapter 5. There'd be no spiritual gifts given at salvation, 1 Corinthians 12, are used in the body. 
There'd be no reason, 1 Corinthians 6, to be pure with your body that the Spirit of God dwells in. You might as well sexually sin all you want. There'd be no demonstration of power from the pulpit, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There'd be no conviction of sin, John 16. And there'd be no sanctification. But here's the great news, friends. Since the Holy Spirit won't leave the church, there is a church. Bible, you have fruit in your life, you can sing and thank and submit, you can use your spiritual gifts, you can be pure with your body, there's power in preaching, conviction of sin, and God sanctifies you all by the work of the Holy Spirit and more. I have a question for you. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your Son, and thank you for your Spirit. May in this pulpit and in the pulpit represented at the, from the attendees here at this conference, may this next Sunday be a day where Jesus Christ is proclaimed so your spirit might rejoice. In his name we pray. Amen.